Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now one of the things that we've seen over the last 20 to 30 years is a gradual reconciliation, if not transformation, between physics and what some people call spirituality. And I'm reminded of a a groundbreaking book uh, called The Tao of Physics about 20, 30 years ago, where there was similarities drawn between quantum theory and spirituality, or the uh, Eastern religion concepts of Maya and Nirvana and the one world spiritual uh, the one world spiritual view promoted by Eastern religion, Hinduism and Buddhism. And over time, this evolution has continued as we're starting to see a greater and greater synergy, a greater and greater uh, overlap in my opinion, between the findings of what we call modern science and what some people call spirituality or energy or new age. A field still searching for the right uh, term, by the way. The latest uh, combination or the latest topic that I think is combining these two fields is this concept of a hologram. And interestingly, on my desk, I have a issue of Scientific American called, the title is called, Are You a Hologram? And this is dated August 2003. We also recall the very popular book called The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot, written in the 1990s, which did very well and is really, it was really a groundbreaking book in many ways. Today I have on the show a leader in this field uh, who has done as much as probably anybody in, in, the, uh, in the world and combining these two topics of science and spirituality. Her name is Jude Curvin, and she has written an amazing book um, called The Cosmic Hologram. And she, it just came out. I was lucky to meet with Jude a couple weeks ago when she gave a talk here in Chicago. I'm calling it a, a synchronistical event and uh, because we had just contacted each other, then I learned that she was going to be in Chicago. And in this book, uh, Jude, as we'll see, has done a great job of sort of uh, giving us the background to physics and how the themes in physics and science and biology and other fields are sort of heading towards an information-based reality. 
Now, for those who don't know Jude, she's a cosmologist, planetary healer, and futurist. She's got a master's in physics from Oxford, a doctorate in archaeology from the University of Reading in the U.K., She's traveled all over the world and been a lifelong researcher into the nature of reality. She's also the author of five other books, including one with Irvin Laszlo called Cosmos. She's a member of the Evolutionary Leader Circle and lives in Wiltshire, England. Jude, welcome to the show and thanks for being with us. It's wonderful to be with you, Phil. Thanks for inviting me. And so we have a lot going on in your book, and I think that... We like I like to set the stage here a little bit by talking about uh, first of all your emphasis on information and you do something very uh, interesting in your in your book and in your title and that is you put a hyphen between the in and the formation and information so let's let's talk a little bit about how you came up with this notion of information with a hyphen being fundamental mm -hmm. to what we call reality? Well, first of all, for many, many years, I've experienced realities in the way that I've described them in the book and from childhood. So it's been 60 odd years before science, leading edge science has sort of really caught up. You mentioned Eastern traditions of one world of the perspective of unified reality um, in your introduction. And it's been, you know, all this time until the scientifically based evidence is converging and, as you say, reconciling with that perspective. So the understanding is that at the leading edge of science, and as you pointed out, not just physics, but biology, the study of complex systems, and increasingly the understanding of information theory itself is that information is more fundamental than energy and matter and indeed space-time and that the, the digital bits of information that are the basis for all our technologies and, and, and communications are exactly the same as the universal information that, ba that basically makes up what we call reality. But the reason I put a hyphen between the in and the formation is this is not just random data. What we're finding across all fields of scientific research and all of such research, from the most minute, the so-called Planck scale, in which um, physics is, is realizing that is, is the digitization, is the pixelation of what we call space-time up to the whole of our universe is that such information, as I say, isn't random, it's patterned. We're understanding that fractal, so-called fractal, geometrical, relational, dynamic patterns, non-physicalized patterns, give rise to what we call physical reality. It is patterned, it is informed, it forms the manifestation of what we call physical reality. And and the picture in my in my head when I listen to you and I've also done my own writing in this area and is is of a old-fashioned movie reel going through a projector <laughs> with on the the reel of film of film are these bits of information and it's sort of going through the old projector and the projector is is uh, projecting the image on a screen that that's the that's the image I have 
of this of this I'm going to call it a concept. The concept being that underlying what we call the universe, life, planet, space, time, etc., is information. Is it is that metaphor? Does that metaphor uh, resonate with you? Is that is that what you refer to uh, when you when you talk about information being at the underlying uh, source of what we call the world? My own sense is that when we look at a film, we still see a two-dimensional um, representation of what we perceive and experience as three-dimensional reality. Perhaps more commonly, and I think more effectively, the analogy is with a hologram. You know, our our man-made holograms are like the kids' toys, just as our virtual realities, you know, immersive virtual reality, which are all based on information. Those are kids' toys for which physical reality, what we call physical reality, is the masterclass. So just as in a hologram, you know, our man-made holograms work by of light reflecting one uh, aspect, one part of that split beam often a 3D object, recombining it to create a two-dimensional pattern of information, um, and then projecting a light through it, which then uh, projects the three-dimensional holographic appearance of the original object. What all of the convergent sciences is showing is that our entire appearance of three-dimensional reality is such a holographic uh, projection, essentially from the boundary of what we call space-time. So we have this appearance of 3D, which isn't really. We're actually immersed in the cosmic hologram. Yeah, I, I think that... Um the hologram, in my mind, is 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 a good is a good metaphor. When you read the 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 literature on, on this, and you've obviously done a lot of of reading in holograms, I I get confused sometimes over whether the scientists here, the writers, to what degree they're using this as a metaphor, because as opposed to something that is real. And I, I'm reading your book and a, and my own writing as being that you think this is real, that this is this is what reality really is. I tend to to read the um, the scientists on this point, uh, including the Scientific American article by Birkenstein, by the way, as being as yeah. being as being metaphorical. In other words, they're saying it's like a hologram. It's like a, I mean, what what do you what do you think about that? Do you do you think the scientists are 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 speaking literally or metaphorically when they talk about a hologram? I well, it's a very important point. Obviously, I think when Jacob Beckenstein wrote that article, as you say, it was back in two thousand three. I think the last thirteen years have persuaded and are persuading more and more scientists to actually real, realize or or, or 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 view that this is not a metaphor. That this is how physical reality is realized, um, and you know it's been very recent research over the last couple of two, three, four years that I've primarily put in the book because it's not until now that the evidence has been so compelling, not just in physics, but across many, many, many other different um, areas of research to the extent that the laws of physics now are being restated 
Bekenstein had done some wonderful work on the information entropy of black holes and come up with what he called the Bekenstein bound, showing that the maximum information is, is held holographically on the surface area of a black hole um, with one digitized bit, one bit of information and also experimentally showing that information is as real, as physically real and is all pervasive. Okay, so one of the advantages of this information uh, theory approach, Jude, uh, is as you say in your book, there's there's some fundamental inconsistencies in the current scientific uh, worldview. Uh, for example, the conflict between quantum theory and general relativity. And I'd like to have you maybe talk a little bit about some of these conflicts, whether that one or another one, and how information, the information theory approach, resolves those problems. Well, essentially, to, to do that, we need to go back even further than, you know, the, 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 the discovery of, of quantum theory and relativity theory at the beginning of the 20th century. We need to go back to the mid-19th century and the work that Ludwig Boltzmann did on thermodynamics back then, when he came up with essentially two laws of thermodynamics or the way that gases behave. And in the first law, and we probably learned these two laws at the school, most folks do. Um, the first law is about the um, conservation of energy in a closed system. And the second law is about something called entropy, which Boltzmann um, understood in terms of the number of microstates within a system. But most folks then understood to be a measure of order and disorder and I think a lot of misunderstanding has come from that but if we go right back to those two laws of thermodynamics and update them with the discoveries of physics and especially the discoveries of cosmology in the intervening time we can come to understand that our universe is a closed system, that energy and matter are equivalent. And so we can restate firstly, the first law of thermodynamics is that the energy matter of our universe is conserved from its beginning to its end of, of a universal cycle. But when we also put into that mix the understanding that information is as physically real as energy and matter and um, is entropic in as well as I'll come to, then we can restate the first law of thermodynamics as a first law of information, saying that the information expressed as energy matter of our universe is universally conserved. Now, the great thing about that is that quantum theory is all about energy matter. Quantum theory doesn't have any notion of time. The first law of the first law of thermodynamics expressed in terms of information also says nothing about the nor should it. It talks about energy matter, it talks about information expressed as energy matter is universally conserved within our universe. That enables our universe to exist, but it's the not the whole story. The crucial additional part of the story is the second law of thermodynamics, which is all about entropy, being restated as a second law of information. Now, when you do that and realize that information then is expressed entropically, in other words, 
information isn't just expressed as energy matter where there's no notion of time. But if you think about it, our universe had less information expressed as space time within it yesterday than it will have than it has today than it will have tomorrow so as the book explains when we express information as also being able to be ex expressed as space time in a complementary way to its expression as energy matter we come to a perspective the information informationally expressed and entropically expressed as space-time enables our universe not to exist but to evolve because time must flow, space must expand to be able to incorporate ever more information throughout its um, lifetime, which can explain, A, not just why time flows and space expands, but give a mechanism for the evolution of our universe. So those two laws, thermodynamics to information not only explain how our universe can exist and evolve but just as the first also re-expressed or restated is is a very simple um, uh, explanation of quantum theory so the second law so restated is a very simple explanation of relativity theory and because the two are complementary it is a bridge between relativity and quantum theory showing that they're just complementary expressions of information expressed as energy matter, information entropically expressed as space and time. Okay, so we're we're getting we're getting pretty deep here, and I had to um, apologize to the listeners. Uh, the fact is is that uh, Jude and I have thought about these things for a long time, and this whole issue about reality, and and I always I always say well. It's sort of a big question because um, it's like understanding the rule book. When you play a game, whether it's Scrabble or football or a computer game, it's always nice to know the rules. And I, I like to think that the purpose of science itself is to understand the rule book, to understand the way the world works. And the goal there is to, if we understand the way the world works, it will ultimately be to our betterment. And so that's my excuse, my rationalization for being deep here. And, and here, here's, my, here's the, the, the way I'm looking at this right now, Jude, is that one of the unanswered questions that we have, whether it's science, philosophy, or religion, is who wrote the book of nature? is where did the laws of physics, of science, come from, even the laws of morality for that purpose. Um, and when we, when we frame this um, problem in terms of information, it sounds to me like, again, the information is feeding into some cosmic projector of sorts, but the information itself is ordered and you know you you have a, a nice section on symmetry in your book uh, from any anywhere from the DNA molecule that we all know is an ordered code to the laws of physics and in the laws and the constants of nature and you know it's it seems to me that the one step here 
is that the laws of nature, the things that hold the world together in, in, a, in a contained um, harmonic whole, um, if, if, those are, if, if those are expressed as information, it's fine. But we still don't understand why, where the symmetry is coming from where the story is coming from. And just one more point. I remember Paul Davies in a show at one point, uh, he basically said, and Paul Davies is a leading writer, uh, God in the New Physics and The Mind of God are two really good books in the Accidental Universe that he all wrote. In any event, he said, uh, you know, in one of these shows where scientists were basically bragging about um, how how advanced they were in understanding the world, you know, Paul Davies said, well, we still don't understand where the laws of nature came from. So, so have you considered this point? In other words, where did the symmetry yes. come from? How, how do you how do you address that one? And sorry, and sorry to do this to you, but I figured while I had you on this show, I wanted to ask you a couple of big questions. So, sorry. <laughs> Absolutely fine. I've, I've studied it very deeply because I think it's crucial. Um, what the book says and, and what my own understanding and, and research has led to is that it is the universe itself that writes the laws of nature or the cosmos, the infinite and eternal cosmos of which cosmologies are now understanding our universe finite expression if you like a thought form in the finite thought form in the in the infinite eternal mind of the cosmos but the the laws of physics are there as simple as they can be but no simpler as einstein said enabling the um the physicalized reality the appearance of our universe both to exist and evolve and what the book does is explain how that happens i write it as though you know we were we were making a, a cake a recipe instructions a container or ingredients all that we need to make literally a universe that's perfect for the evolution of complexity and for self-aware beings such as ourselves and so what what the book's premise is, is that consciousness constructs, co-creates our universe, indeed all universes, within an infinite cosmic mind in ways and in a way that literally is perfectly balanced, exquisitely ordered, as simple as it can be, but no simpler, to enable the experience, the Consciousness within a construction we call space-time, but is part of a much greater, multidimensional um, awareness of which we are microcosmic co-creators. So this gels very, very, very naturally and easily with what you said at the uh, the front of the of the show, which was that the Eastern traditions of spirituality, and of course. You know, physicality is incredibly ephemeral and ultimately totally interconnected. So, you know, consciousness is in a great job of of persuading us of the of the separation and the solidity. But in fact, when you drill down and you really get to the the, the underlying understanding of what reality is about, it is consciousness it is mind it is in formation 
expressing itself as energy, matter, and space and time. Okay, so that's very, very close, if not exactly, to where I'm at on this whole point. And, and there's a quote in your book from Hina Hashimi um, in one of your chapters, and the quote is, an individual can't create anything itself. All of our dreams come true with the cooperation and co-creation of other souls. And I think that that, that is uh, right on point. And here, here's where I'm at with this. And that is, if, if you assume that this is true, that the, the united mind or, the, or the, uh, con- the, the united consciousness of which all of us are a part, if that consciousness um, writes the information and therefore creates the story, and therefore, and therefore creates the world, that to the extent we have wrong ideas, incorrect ideas, naive ideas, we will create a, a world of terror, a, an evil world, a, a wrong-headed world. And that's what I think, that's where I think we are at. And if you read the great philosophers, if you go back to Socrates and Plato, these guys are talking about, and, and Buddha too, wrong opinions. My point is that the the great philosophers, uh, starting with Socrates and then you go even to Buddha, these two guys and others, but they're, I would say they're the leaders, in making us be self-critical of our ideas. Uh, you know, Buddha had the right, the, the right thinking, the right attitudes, the, the Eightfold Way. A lot of it was just thinking right, thinking clearly. And then Socrates was very much into the same thing, uh, radical self-criticism, testing your, your ideas, questioning yourself. And I think, to me, this is like a, a it's sort of like a, a self-healing um, process where, where we have to come to the right perspective on the world at large, which, in other words, a, a simple way to put this, in my opinion, is to is that our goal here is to is to write an accurate story to re, to feed the right information into the projector. Mm-hmm. If if we if we are in control, and I I personally think we have to assume we are. That's my perspective. A lot of people assume we're not, such as materialist scientists who believe that everything's mm-hmm. directed outside of us. But if you assume we are, then then that builds up the responsibility each of us has to create a better self, a better world, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to disavowing responsibility. And so I like to bring this front and center, Jude, uh, and because that's where I'm at with this. And, and I think that uh, books like yours, uh, I'm reading them as saying – Eventually, we have to have better information. <laughs> we, have, we, we have to improve. If we are really conscious creators, co-creators, then we've got to improve the information we're feeding into the projector. Now, this is my you – know, so what do you think about that? I, 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 I gave you some of my, my perspective, and I always say that I'm um, – I've had Amika Swami on the show a lot, and I always tell him I'm, I'm the only person in the world that's more radical than he is. Um, but anyways, uh, what, what's your perspective on, on this point? <laughs> uh, very, very similar. And what I would say, though, is that 
we are microcosmic co-creators. The entire universe, our whole universe, is, is if you like, you know, guiding this evolutionary process that we're all part of. So, yes, we are co-creators of our realities. But the, for me, the laws of information, the algorithmic laws of physics that began at what I'm calling the big breath, not the big bang, because it wasn't big. It wasn't a bang. It was minute, as we know, but it was also incredibly exquisitely fine-tuned and ordered. So much more like the big breath that the Eastern traditions talk about, yeah. this out-breath of consciousness that we call space-time, um, is for our entire universe to be writing the, 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 the principles that guide its existence and evolution. Within that evolution, complexity is, you know, it's a perfect way of enabling ever greater complexity, ever greater levels of microcosmic self-awareness such as ourselves to evolve and not just ourselves you know the number of exoplanets that astronomers are discovering are just the absolute tiny proportion of, of feel we're going to find in the next few years not just in our galaxy but throughout our universe and so it's very interesting that our universe after 13.8 billion years of existence has come to this point where we're having this conversation on this particular planet and I suspect on many, 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 many other planets throughout our galaxy and universe, other beings perhaps are having similar existential conversations as we come to a, a, a point in our evolution which for us is is breakdown or breakthrough, where we are healing, as you say, our fragmented perspectives, where, where we are now having the information to literally understand the unified nature of reality and ourselves as microcosmic co-creators of that reality and its potential evolution. Yeah, you know, I I think that this uh, this concept of life on other planets it's it's becoming more and more fascinating. And I'm switching gears here a little bit and try to bring this back. But the reason why I think this is so fascinating is that it really is built on a contradiction that potentially opens a door. And and the contradiction is this, and that is uh, I think the way the data is coming out and the data that the two data points that I would have are how life basically prospers in almost any environment. It's unbelievable uh, where they're finding life on the planet Earth, you know, deep in the ocean, in the, mm -hmm. in the Earth's crust, uh, on asteroids, whatever. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And then you look mm -hmm. at the number of planets that are Earth-like. Uh, and 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 even Mars is a possibility, or the mm -hmm. that one um, moon of Jupiter. Uh, uh, but then the contradiction, though, is how far away the closest star is, <laughs> and this is this is why yes. this is such a contradiction. I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating science science fiction issue, which is the closest star is about four to five light years, and of course the fastest. Uh, rocket ship i believe goes no around 20 to 30,000 miles an hour and so if you do the math we're never going to 
interact with these people. Um, but then that leads to Star Trek and 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 uh, you know sort of sort of uh, you know um, wormholes and time travel and all these kinds of things which which sound like science fiction. I mean, I wouldn't rule them out or extra dimensions. That's that's really maybe the the most um, sort of scientific way to put it. But you know, Jude, I mean, what have you have you thought about this? Because you you have you have that deep science science background. I mean. Where do you come down on this contradiction um, that, that 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 the media tends to forget about half the time? But but um, it's sort of a difficult dilemma in my book. Um, I'm not sure I, I really understand why it's a dilemma. I mean, if we understand that our entire universe exists and evolves as a unified entity yeah. and that the beautiful precision of the, the 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 rules of informational physics that enable it to do so have resulted after 13.8 billion years in in us on this planet but as you say biological life is is pretty much finds a way you know wherever there's the ability of liquid water um, and and some energy then life finds a way and that's just you know biological you know we, we're figuring out what other possibilities there are and, and my definition of life goes way way beyond biology um, but if you think about it as well you know with with billions hundreds of billions of stars in our own galaxy and possibly billions if not more of, of planetary systems with perhaps you know because you know the prebiotic molecules and, and ice are so vastly spread throughout the, the, the universe that it suggests that the possibility of biological emergence is incredibly abundant. There, there, there's lucky to. But, but the question is going to be how. Billions upon billions of. Billions. So, but but how, how do we get in touch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we how do we get in touch? I mean, I that that's really the um, that's really the, the the dilemma, which I I almost think we have to go to another level of consciousness or information or dimension or whatever. But it's it's just it's just a fascinating topic, and it's it, it is it is exciting. I. I happen to think I'm also very radical on this. I happen to think that sometimes we get a little distracted. I I I sort of think we should conquer one planet at a time, um, and which means we we need to get our act together on this planet. Um, now maybe according if you follow the Hollywood movies, uh, you know it may be a way to unite uh, our our world if there is life on other planets and may give us something in common. But in any event. It's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating issue. Now, as as we're coming to the end here, I I want to make sure we get your your um, sort of your predictions. Uh, you're you're a futurist, and mm -hmm. I think in taking the perspective that you're taking in in the book, you you're clearly looking ahead, and I I don't think there's any doubt. That the information holographic paradigm is the wave of the future. You know, I like to call it the dream. I call it the dream perspective, and it to me it's the same thing, basically. Um, but but how how do you 
see science sort of evolving because right now I think Jude science is is schizophrenic because I agree. because we're looking for God in a particle and we're looking for the ultimate particle you know the particle that rules them all because even the God particle isn't the God particle and we don't have time to talk about it but it, it really doesn't solve the dark matter dark energy and the and the the whole question about where the where the particles came from and all that kind of stuff, but 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 science itself is right now schizophrenic. We're sort of we're divided. But how do you see things going in the next ten to twenty years? If you had a crystal ball, how, how do well, you first of all, I don't feel that the next ten years, let alone the twenty years, is sustainable on the on the direction we've been in. Um, because I do feel that collectively we, we are getting close to we're in a global emergency yeah. as, as, as you've heard me speak and you know it, it, we're either going to grow up and, and emerge through some form of conscious evolution or, or as, a, as a species I don't feel we'll be viable and you know beyond that time frame potentially so that is pretty radical, but I think it is time to look in the face and look consciousness. I think that science, as you say, is schizophrenic, and I think it's been derelict, actually, in its duty to provide and share the evidence, because physicists have known for a long time of the ephemeral nature of, of physical reality. They've known for a long time that to make quantum theory work, our universe needs to be universally and non-locally interconnected as a, a unified and coherent whole and yet that's being kept really you know close to their chest yeah, as it yeah, were yeah. the other thing that's been coming out over the last few years and i give so much of the evidence in the book is this realization that information is more fundamental than energy and matter and space and time and is the basic stuff of what we call reality and again that really hasn't been shared as widely as, as I feel it should have done because it has such a potentially transformational opportunity as we you know as we heal our worldview as we realize the, the, the truly unified nature of reality we can we can understand the whole worldview and we can heal our behaviors you know our behaviors generally come from our dysfunctional beliefs about the nature of reality the duality based perspective so this isn't just a revolution of science this is far far more important it's a revolution or an evolution in awareness and i think the reason science has really not done its duty and remains schizophrenic is its fear of anything to do with the C word of consciousness and just as at the end of the 19th century there had to be a revolutionary approach to science because there were too many anomalies that didn't fit in with the old paradigm science is now at a similar if not even more radical need for revolution um, because these anomalies, these discoveries, these new insights are all pointing to the understanding that information is reality, that mind is matter. And consciousness isn't something we have. It's what we and the whole world are. And, you know, the sad thing is, I think science is a wonderful modality for exploration, but it has to follow where the evidence leads. Otherwise, it's not science, it's scientism. 
and I think there's been too much of the scientism and not enough of the of the um, pioneering science that would absolutely recognize that what this is leading to is a reconciliation between a scientific perspective of a worldview and universal spiritual experiences yeah. not be schizophrenic as a as not just a scientist but as a human species for any longer it's been too dangerous and we're now on the threshold of catastrophe if we don't heal our understanding yeah and i think i think that's that's very well put and the 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 problem that i see it i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of um issues here but but one of them as you point out is going where the evidence leads and as you were talking i almost think that it's what would be very productive would be to get uh open-minded people including scientists in a room and say let's start all over let's build a model from what the evidence shows today and let's stop trying to rationalize these old theories that to me that is that is fundamentally the problem it's like you, you they have the scientists have one one uh, foot in tradition in the in the shoulders of the giants and the shoulders of the giants and one foot in modern thinking and we're trying and they're trying to to advance the ball without giving up some of the fundamental assumptions including the independent world the independently existing particles, the Big Bang. I mean, there's so many things that that you cannot solve a problem if if you if you fail to release yourself from the the source of the problem. And and I and Absolutely. I and I I think that over t- the beauty of this way of thinking. And I know that this is what you're also about is that this way of thinking leads towards cooperation. Just like that quote I read earlier about, to me, it is probably true that we get accomplished more together than we get accomplished individually, and therefore um, it is is to the betterment of humankind to take this perspective. So we have come to the end, and we had a couple of technical glitches here or there. But 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 uh, I want I want folks to um, to understand here that that Jude is right at the top of the of the people who are who are thinking clearly and um, authoritatively and also creatively about these about these issues. Her new book is called "The Cosmic Hologram." In hyphen formation at the center of creation. It's a really um, mind-opening read. Uh, I I highly recommend it. I do think that uh, this this theory, this approach that we've discussed, uh, the information and the hologram is really where things are heading. And maybe five ten years from now, Jude, we'll have another conversation, uh, and 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 there'll be and and we will have a more open field there'll be there'll be uh we'll be speaking with more confidence and there'll be more people who are adopting this view who are actually teaching in the universities as opposed to trying to knock the walls down but um again again i like i I appreciate your your time here and again um uh look up jude's book um and uh i don't think you'll be disappointed if you have any closing comments you'd like to make jude uh other than um uh, the, uh, the, and I'll perhaps tell us about your website or whatever. 
Well, thank you, first of all, Phil, for this opportunity to explore the ideas of the cosmic hologram. Um, just to say that when we do, in my perspective, as a planetary healer, as, as well as, as a cosmologist when we heal our behaviors I'm sorry when we heal our worldview we do heal our behaviors so for me this is far more than just bringing the science forward and even you know reconciling the side science with universal spiritual experiences this is um, the revelation that reality is unified and it's an empowering and I hope inspiring uh, message because it does empower us to, to you know to, to go forward come together and co-create new realities um, as a human species um, and it's about understanding and then experiencing and finally embodying unity awareness because for me as a futurist that is our potential as a species um, this helps with the understanding. I'm writing two more books in the trilogy. The next guy, her story about experiencing unified reality. The third, Many Voices, One Heart, will be about now what do we do when we do come together and we do co-create and we do radically transform our social, economic, educational, health-based. Everything that we are and do together has the power to be transformed by this message. Um, so yes, let's let's keep on uh, doing so and, and come together and continue to explore and be in service to this. My website, by the way, is www.judecaravanmyname.com. Okay, and thank you once again. And I don't think that there's any doubt, folks, that that this is this is where um, things are heading. And uh, just just think of. of if if we could use Jude's books as the textbooks and the curriculum and in the schools, and this becomes more of of the paradigm than the current materialistic paradigm that we're under right now. But uh, as as we say, and as she says in her book, um, may, maybe learning is remembering, and our goal here is to remember who we truly are. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.